Welkommen, that's German. Welcome into Das ist der Blockbuster Film School. You are here again to listen and think and at home talk to yourself about movies. Welcome to your proxy conversation. I'm Alex Bonner, one of Blockbuster Film School's spookiest residents, joined by its spookiest professor, Mr. Nicholas Souder. Hola, como estas, primos? <laughs> That's Espanol. Si. Buenos dias. Donde esta Buenas la noches. <laughs> we live at night. Si. Donde esta la fantasma. That's ghost. They're I'm everywhere. Well. Hello, John Carpenter fans. Yes. Welcome We're here back. to bury him. <laughs> and then dig up the corpse and, and make the, him stand by a synthesizer. Which he's pretty good at. Which we should bring up the fact for this episode and last episode, and maybe into the future, who knows? Super producer Brian Tepps composed an amazing, yes, John Carpenter homage theme for the Blockbuster Film School. It's, it's good. so good, I already have the lyrics tattooed on my back. <laughs> I'm John Carpenter, and I like to fly through the sky. I think something like that. Could have directed the movie Mannequin, but I turned it down. <laughs> Welcome back in. We're going to get back into John Carpenter Part 2. If you haven't listened to part one. Yes. It's critical. You won't understand what's happening. It's a big happening. deal. <laughs> yes. Previously on Lost, there was a time where John Carpenter created entirely new genres, entirely new avenues for horror, sci-fi. Launch careers. Synth, poetic synth. So much dope poetic synth music. He was breaking new ground as he went along. Yes. He oh. was named the master... Of horror. Of that element of Southern California filmmakers, it really was Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, John Carpenter, the big guns coming out of the- Coppola. He's- New That guy with the gun. Yeah. <laughs> New York. Film school generation in New York was different, but the film school generation for Southern California, John Carpenter, at least in the mid-80s, was right there, was one of its biggest guns, one of its- Largest proponents of movies. And things take a turn. <laughs> so the last movie we talked about was Prince of Darkness, which is interesting because I read a thing about how Steven Spielberg liked Prince of Darkness a lot and always wanted to use Sam Neill because of that movie. He's not in that movie. What's up? Which, well, what's the Sam, Sam Neill's not in Prince of Darkness. Which is the Sam Neill movie. I'm sorry. In the Mouth of Madness. In the which Mouth comes of- out after yes. Jurassic Park. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm jumping the gun, I suppose, of my notes. You are totally right. Well, like I'm saying, the influence of John Carpenter and his casting and people liking some of these Spielberg choices. Spielberg wound up using his cinematographer for years. He shot Jurassic Park. Yes, yes. Dean Cundy. Dean Cundy and Dean Cundy. Well, and the loss of Dean Cundy would greatly hurt John Carpenter. Yes. He's still alive. Yes. He just moved on to yeah. movies. When your band loses its drummer, you think it'll be okay. But if they're Dean Cundy, uh, you replace it with an ar- the one arm guy from <laughs> Def Leppard. That is not what he replaced it with. He basically replaced it with a dummy that played drums. Gary B. Kive <laughs> There's some has decent- some good shots. Okay, and I'm not going to bash entirely, even though some of these movies are trash. A lot of them are earnest, and a lot of them are cult classics. There are a few, not a yeah. lot, but there are a few in there. Also, Nick, you are totally right. I am wrong. Coppola was California film school generation. We just, as I was saying, a little bit confusing in that sense because he uses a lot of the New York film school actors in his movies, 
but you are totally correct. However, in 1988, John Carpenter would release a movie that would start the film career of one of wrestling's greatest heels. Boy, I love you, boys. Is a movie called They Live, which, even though this is the second half, I guess you would say the fall for John Carpenter, this is right at the, the top of the roller coaster, though. This is right at the peak, and They Live is definitely a cult classic. It is, and, like, the imagery has become, yes, like, iconic. Super iconic. Like, you see that, you know it's They Live. Those zombies. But here's the thing. Aliens. Seeing that and the sunglasses and the Funko Pop toys with the giant fucking heads, <laughs> all these things are great. Mm -hmm. Also, check out the Absolutely Not video for Die in California. It's a lot of fun. Yes. But here's the thing. When you sit down, like we did, and <laughs> you watch did. this fucking movie... <laughs> It's There's like sixty minutes of this movie no one remembers. Yes, where it's just Roddy Piper sitting on the floor of some woman's condo that he kidnapped, and he's just sitting there breathing heavily, not in like a really creepy, pervy way, just yeah. like a I don't know what to do he's, he's, with myself. He's doing wrestling acting. Yeah, which does not translate not at all to movies. He's hobbling around like fucking James Caan <laughs> in misery, right. but without the acting chops. When you when you get hit with a chair in wrestling, you grab your you know wherever they hit you and you scream and you ah, ah and you fall down. That's not what you do in movies. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that is she hits him with a champagne bottle. Yes, he flies through a window, goes down <laughs> seven hills, literally winds up in Van Nuys. Yes, like he winds up in another fucking county and then he just has <laughs> one scratch on his head and his shirt comes untucked he's like oh no what, what am i gonna do and it's like dude are you serious <laughs> i'm a canadian superstar eh i will say roddy looks the best that roddy ever looked at his entire life in that movie he's yeah. almost pristine roddy roddy piper tell you what though yes i would trade 20 pounds of muscle for a little bit more convincing, like washing his wounds. Is that scene oh. where he's like after him and uh, Keith David beat yes. the piss out of each other, which by the way is the only reason they made that movie. It's the best. It's the best scene of that movie. Eight minute fist fight just yes. as like the climax of the movie, but he's washing a wound on his shoulder and he's acting <laughs> like he's using somebody else's arm on another shoulder, it's the weirdest. He doesn't know how to wash himself. Also, this idea that your arm is hurt, so you just throw water on it. Yeah, exactly. It's also <laughs> wrestling nonsense. What, what are you talking about? It's a gash like you get from skateboarding accidents. <laughs> yeah. They live, if you're unfamiliar with the movie itself, Rowdy, Roddy Piper, is a drifter from Canada, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> Based on his accent. And he ends up in California, in L.A., so it'd be cheaper to shoot. And there he finds some cool homeless people who are getting fucked over by the city. Big surprise. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And he, through circumstances, finds some magical sunglasses, which is the most L.A. thing that you could possibly write. And those magical sunglasses show him that there are still humans, but there are a lot of... Aliens slash whatever the hell is alien zombies secretly running our world, aka Mitch McConnell. And they are dangerous pieces of shit. And Rowdy is gonna 
beat the shit out of them. And that's where the plot ends, pretty much. There is, yeah, there is no plot. Because <laughs> Rowdy... He just wanders around. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're a drifter. Yeah. Drift through the movie. <laughs> we didn't write you any dialogue. Say some cheeseball shit that no one's going to remember except for the, I came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. But then there's also classics like, this lady looks like she fell in the cheese dip in 1957. <laughs> Is that like a, the meanest Canadian phrase in the world or something? It makes no fucking sense. Also, John wrote it. John Carpenter wrote that down, I would assume. I don't think so. Or possibly Rowdy said it, and he said to himself, that's it. Yeah. Nailed it. Rowdy Big is no. in his contract. He can't do <laughs> more than two takes because he just didn't remember the scene. <laughs> he is in wrestling terminology, cutting promos. And if you don't know what cutting promos is, in wrestling terminology, that's basically when, listen up, Mean Gene. I'm going to come and I'm going to smash, you know, that kind of thing. And Rowdy is doing that throughout the entire movie because, as a shocker, that's all he knows how to do. So he's cutting promos and beating people up. And Keith David is there to try and be a real movie actor, which he is. He's great. He tries desperately to save the movie with his real acting. Yeah. His little monologue's decent after Roddy Piper has a monologue about (laughs) fishing and thinking the world's like, oh, God, it's so terrible. Here's another quote that's just. Ooh, yes. Because it says that most of his lines he ad-libbed, including this one. Life's a bitch and she's in heat. (laughs) <laughs> this is something Oh, Lisa, that, bitch, and she's in heat There you go, you got the right accent for it <laughs> Call the cops You know what you need? A Brazilian plastic surgeon That's offensive to Brazilians and plastic surgeons That is correct I don't understand what the demographic is That would think that's cool But strangely though, of Carpenter's movies It's up there on the list Of the ones that People love it People Love it. There is a wrestling quotient. We have to admit that. People like wrestling. They like Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I want to go on the record that I I hate wrestling. I I understand. We're talking about it too much. That's Well, only because Rowdy. It's Rowdy Piper. I understand that. And Hulk Hogan made some bad movies around this time. Let's not break him up. But Rowdy. This is a family podcast. (laughs) Suburban Commando, brother. That's a good idea. Um, But Rowdy. Doesn't really do other than an amazing guest star appearance on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Which is like 20 years later, he finally got what he was doing. Yes. Well, he got to be himself. Yeah. He got to play. He played another hobo. (laughs) He's the same character, except he learned how to act by then. But. Everyone who loves this movie, I guarantee they haven't sat down and watched it all the way through. That's also. In 10 years. I haven't seen this movie in so long. I was like, is this like a director's cut? How is and it's only like ninety three minutes. I also when I watched it the first time when I was like ten, exactly, and I enjoyed it. And much like wrestling, you enjoy it at peak enjoyment when you are ten years old because that's what it's for. It's a bunch of goofball fighting. It's a bunch of nonsense and aliens and the action sequences. Although. Some of them are impressive. There's helicopters and it's, wild shit going on. As a here's the thing, and like we talked about this when we were just watching uh, Ghosts of Mars. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get but to that. Ugh. There is a few yeah. scenes in there that it's like, okay, mm-hmm. everybody sobered up and decided to shoot a movie scene. Yeah. This this is 50% of this movie, they live, is That's the title. like a movie. Yes. Half of They Live is a movie. Correct. And as you get further down in his filmography, by the time you get The Ghost of Mars, that's not the movie we're talking about. Ghost of Mars is later. Yes. It's like 
20% of movies. <laughs> You're like watching, like they, they it's they like. They don't even have cocaine as an excuse. No. <laughs> Ghost of Mars, which we'll talk about later. I, I'm so upset by this movie because we just watched it yesterday. is the Godfather part two in comparison to Ghost of Mars. Without a doubt. It is amazing. Ghost of Mars looks like they taped their rehearsals. <laughs> it, like nobody thought they were being serious. It, Ghost of Mars looks like a bunch of weirdos showed up, as we said, to Mars World at Six Flags. Yeah. And just acted out shit that they wrote themselves. I, it is the worst anthrax video ever made. <laughs> and you could take that easy to the band or just like people dying of anthrax. Right. Either uh, way, it works. They Live clearly shows cracks in the facade. Yeah. Because even though Carpenter is still riding a little high, he still had some hit movies recently. Hollywood is still giving him money. He is still John Carpenter. the budget on this is like $4 million. Right. But back then, that in 87, that's that's a little bit. I mean, it's not insane, but I mean, 77, the budget for Star Wars was $4 million. I mean, you know, so you're talking about like- uh, 10-year difference? Yes. I mean, 87, 4 million bucks would be the equivalent of them giving you like 35 now. It's not the biggest of budgets, but it's, they still believe in you. They believe in your name and your ability to make a movie. And you picked a Canadian wrestler and (laughs) made a movie about magic sunglasses. That's what you did. And they live, uh, what do you think the uh, box office on they live was? I don't know. You want it in Canadian or American? American, please. I don't know what American. I'll say three. You know what? Budget, as you said, four. Box office, fourteen. So it made its money back. It's not a hit in any regard, though. It's right, but it is the same thing where they're like, well, John Carpenter still almost based on that name, still putting butts in the seats. And let's be honest, this is, of his failures, this is the biggest cult classic. Uh, Yes. This movie is always... mm, Because Big Trouble, Big Trouble, I would say, is kind of 50-50 of his biggest flop cult. No, no, I'm not talking like like box office failures. Right. I mean, the thing flopped. Mm. That is highly regarded as one of the greatest films ever made now. It really is. But I'm just saying, like, Big Trouble in China... Works as a film. It's oh fun. yeah, it's it has a plot. They try to steal Samantha from Sex and the City. Well, not her, they, but the other person. Well, but they they eventually do. They, they, they yeah. steal a couple of women, and then people. <laughs> and then this is the worst way to talk about this movie. Right. But they steal some women, and then Kurt Russell and his friend have to save them. Yeah, at least that I can describe what happened exactly. in that movie. That's why they live is a fail. <laughs> it is a failure of a film. Yes, it's only half a movie. Right of his half movies that he made. This is easily the most important. Yes. People get the, people have made, like that one Obey guy. He's oh. like, his entire career is based off of this. Absolutely. Uh, Shepard Fairey, yeah, now has a huge brand yeah. and a huge thing. And from the design, I mean, the design in They Live of those zombies, the problem is when you make a movie where everyone is the bad guy, then you don't really have. Yeah, there's no antagonist. Can, yes. It's just society at large. Right. And something I like about John Carpenter and his anti-authority is, Fuck the man yeah. personality. But in Escape from New York, the president is there. Yeah. That's the man. You at least have yeah. somebody to, you know, latch on to of like, oh, if this guy gets fucked over, then that's the man. Getting, when, like, when your character's fighting everybody, you might as well just give him a born to lose tattoo. <laughs> For real. Everybody's the bad guy. Yeah. There's old ladies getting punched. It's 
banana pants the whole movie. Also, do you have any other they live things before I move on? I don't any other thought. I mean, we can go back, obviously. I mean, the idea that he puts across in the film yes. are bigger than the movies. Agreed. There are things out now with Trump saying vote and he's the alien, and they've been yeah. using that image for the last four years. The message of the movie mm -hmm. comes across, despite the fact that right. it's only half a movie. Like, this is the downfall of John Carpenter episode, but at some point, just making the movie, saying what he wanted to say, and, like, not having studio interference. This was released by Universal, so was Prince of Darkness, so was The Thing. Yeah. Like, they gave him $4 million, and they left him alone, and he said what he wanted to say, and... It's a good message. It works. Like, everyone is full of shit. Yeah. That is a very valid message. You can't trust the cops. You can't trust the people in the news. You can't trust your weird homeless friends, though. You can trust the people who, like you, yeah. are fighting to survive and are grasping at straws. That's pretty true. They're that not, is true. Yeah. I agree so with that. So, as a failure of a movie, the message has blown the fuck up in the 30-plus years since this movie's come out, and that is... That's what people remember. They don't remember the movie, and that's the important part. So it's a fail as a movie, but it exceeded anything he could have done with a more successful movie, probably. I agree. I will say this one thing, though. If a Canadian wrestler drifter comes up and tells you they have magic sunglasses, you need to slowly back away. You need to slowly I'm, just... I'm sorry. Do you remember <laughs> Keith David being threatened with, you're going to put on these sunglasses or you're going to start eating trash can? <laughs> Actual dialogue well, you're gonna, you're gonna that Roddy Roddy Piper wrote himself yep. on the spot. He loves hitting people with trash cans. Yeah. That is real. Uh, <laughs> after They Live, which was a little bit of a hit, a mild hit, made a little cash, Carpenter was offered The Exorcist 3 and met with writer William Peter Blady, exactly. Blatty, who wrote, obviously wrote The Exorcist books. And it was very, very close, but apparently the two straight up started arguing and did not like each other. And Carpenter hated the ending of The Exorcist 3. And Blatty was like, what are you talking about, you lunatic? I don't know what his, I would love to find out. I did a bunch of research. I couldn't figure out what Carpenter's idea for the ending was. I imagine it involved magic sunglasses or possibly a train. I'm sure it just <laughs> evolved into the end of the world. Yes, yes. Or barbarians living on another planet. And Blatty was like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? And they did not get along, but... Weirdly enough, later they became friends. Apparently they did not like each other initially, and now they are buddies, and they like to hang out and talk about quantum physics. Mm. You, know, you know why? Mm. Because the studio hated the ending to Exorcist 3 and made him reshoot it, and it makes no fucking sense. Mm. They literally just tied it back into the Exorcist movies as a fucking last-minute thing. Interesting. And it sucks. That's very interesting. The ending. Yeah, I'm... So I'm, I'm sure it came, like, hey, John, guess who else didn't like my ending? Like, oh, yeah, studios suck. You want to fucking smoke a bunch of weed with my son? <laughs> I actually, you know what? Yeah. Now that we're just old weirdos, let's do it, baby. So about quantum physics. <laughs> There's, like, black holes and shit, bro. Um, So we're into the 90s for John Carpenter. And the 90s... Uh! <laughs> the 90s were nice. To a lot of skinny weirdos from Seattle playing rock music. They were nice to a lot of mildly funny 
character actors from Chicago who all ended up on a show called Friends. But for the most part, the 90s was not good to John Carpenter. No. It was it was a gauntlet for him. His first movie in the 90s was a few years later because They Live was 87, and he didn't make another movie till, till mem- 1992. Yes, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Memoirs of an Invisible Geisha. Memoirs <laughs> of an Invisible Movie. <laughs> what, what's your take on Memoirs of an Invisible Man? These are my memoirs. <laughs> I've been writing them. I'm invisible. <laughs> Let me say this. <laughs> Starring Chevy Chase and Daryl. <laughs> uh, uh. The fact we have to discuss Chevy Chase and John Carpenter in the same yes. sentence. Also Sam Neill in this movie. Yes. Here's the thing. This is the only John Carpenter movie I've seen once. Mm. I've even seen his next movie that was made for TV, Body Bags, twice. Yes. Memoirs of an Invisible Man is one of the dumbest, <laughs> schlockiest fucking pieces of shit I have ever yes. seen. Correct. This is the lowest of the lows. I saw... I. I like this less than Ghost of Mars. I agree with you on that. Yeah. I saw it as a kid. I thought it was trash. I thought it was trash too. You know I, what else? When someone told me John Carpenter directed it later, uh, uh, I pre-mega internet, pre-internet yeah. being in your pocket, I said to them, while I worked at Blockbuster, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. I saw it when it premiered on HBO, and I was watching the intro. My Because we, my family, loves yes. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So in 1992, that movie was only like three years old. Mm-hmm. We all still liked Chevy Chase. So we were watching it, and when I actually saw it, it said, directed by John Carpenter, I out loud, I went, no. <laughs> no, no! I was I was like, see, what, what, why? What is happening? <laughs> what, why? <laughs> the movie should have just been called Why? Question mark. Exactly. <laughs> On set, now this is going to come as a shock to you, John Carpenter and Chevy Chase did not get along. Mm. Now, I don't know if you know, Chevy Chase is a world-class asshole that uh, apparently is just trouble incarnate. He is prick personified. <laughs> but apparently... He has that thing, though, where, for whatever reason, he draws money. And Hollywood, for some reason, can't get rid of him because... Well, they can now, very easily. I know, but community was a... You know what I'm saying? Like, the guy pops up, and people watch his stuff. Okay. Our parents... Yes. ...were hanging out back then, and they were smoking weed. Right. And it was like, oh, Saturday Night Live. And it was like, oh, my God, he's Fletch. I hope he doesn't do blackface. And then he was... (laughs) Oh, look, he fell down again. Yeah. Hilarious. Oh, look, he's taking Percocet after Percocet after Percocet after Percocet. And then just like, oh, look, Christmas vacation, National Lampoon's vacation, European vacation. Like, it just kept rolling. And every once in a while, he was in something genuinely funny. Yes. This is not that movie. No. And then it's like, oh, that's the guy from Talk Soup. Oh, it's that guy from Christmas Vacation. I'm going to watch this on NBC. Chevy Chase ran on the memories <laughs> memoirs of memoirs. Memoirs. I was invisible. I oh, I'd, and I looked at naked women. I thought I'd write my memoirs. Um, <laughs> he ran on the memory of who he used to be for decades, and then eventually those people stopped caring, and people our age and younger who never gave a shit about him just decided to go. Oh, this guy's a dick. And they just stopped caring. Also, I'm in a Chevy Chase movie with my father. That's a true thing. Ooh, which one? It's called Memoirs. Bad Meat. <laughs> Direct <laughs> That's not to video, eight years after it came out, 
We are extras in the background. Awesome. They filmed it at where my father works. He's in a, he fixes machines at a hand place okay. in uh, Pilsen. And he's like, you want to be in this movie? I go, sure. So he picked me up from the house, brought me over, and like, okay, no, Miles, for this scene, you're a factory worker, blah, blah, blah. I just looked despondent, looked terrible. Nick, same thing. Okay, cool. He just goes, action. And then we were just pushing machine thing. He's like, all right, Miles, be more depressed. Be more depressed. And then he goes, Nick, have a little bit more energy. <laughs> so you're in SAG now is what you're saying. No, I retired after this. Which is a shame that you retired because you did get nominated for a Golden Globe for Bad Meat. Yeah, but I mean, it's the foreign press. Yeah, I know. That's a Golden Globe. Yeah. So, yeah, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, I don't want to talk too much about it because it this is sucks, but it is a very good indicator, though. It's like they live, showed some cracks in the facade. This is the foundation of the house starting to sink into the ground this is the earthquake from escape from la <laughs> yes this which we will get to in a moment he did not write memoirs of an invisible man um i would imagine because my guess on memoirs of an invisible man is because carpenter was consistently getting offered other hollywood stuff stuff that he didn't write they yeah li- this is a warner brothers movie right they liked him as a director and he passed on a lot of stuff that we talked about some of which became hits. And this time he did not pass. He was a gun for hire and it maybe put a bad taste in his mouth. Can I read? Can I t- hold on? Read whatever you like. Let me tell you who wrote this movie William Goldman, who won the Academy Award for Butch Cassidy and who, Sundance Kid. And Kids. also is an amazing novelist who I love. And the president, all the president's men. Yes. He wrote the novel for Marathon Man and he, yes. he wrote The Princess Bride. Yes. So he co wrote it. With Dana Olson, who wrote the fucking Burbs. Oh, wow. How would this turn out like shit? Uh, Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase. <laughs> I would imagine Chevy Chase being a dildo the entire time. And just being high as fuck on quaaludes. And just being a turd to everybody. The ent- And also, and I'm sorry, like, we're going to get into this. Something discombobulated in John Carpenter's brain. I know he was going through a divorce but then what's funny is he found his, in the next movie we'll talk about, his wife was one of the producers and the casting director. His future wife, he would not marry her for a little while. But um, also Nick brought up Body Bags, which came out, which was a TV yeah. movie. Which, well, we'll get to that in one second real fast. Sure, what would you like to bring up? Goldman also left the project saying, I'm too old and too rich for this shit. I fucking love it. Goldman also wrote a book that called Magic, which is one of the coolest spooky... It's about magicians who are... But, like, David Copperfield. But it's set in the 80s and about the cutthroat world of being a magician. It's so interesting and weird. It's such a weird, cool book. And I loved Marathon Man. Also, there's a sequel book to Marathon Man called Brothers about these weird CIA agents who don't even know that they are brothers. They've been trained and they're sleeper cells. It's such a cool, William Goldman's stuff is so creative and cool. I love his writing. I love his books. It is an absolute shame. I did not know (laughs) that he wrote that. That's devastating on two fronts. Well, he, okay, so he left. (laughs) I'm too old and too rich for this shit. Which is the greatest line ever for a fucking writer. I will never get to say that. I wrote the princess fucking bride, you turds. So, Chevy Chase found the script too comedic 
he said it was Clark Griswold becomes invisible. Richard yeah, that's Donner why they hired you, dildo. Richard Donner worked on the movie for eight months and then left because he hates Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase eventually suggested John Carpenter. Oh my God. And then Carpenter and Dana Olson worked on the script for 18 months to make something that was North by Northwest meets Starman. So he did eventually write this. And then wow. when Chevy Chase was like, this is great, let's do it. And then it just turned into, it was 84 days of shooting and it just turned into a fucking Jesus. shit show. <laughs> they had to shoot the same movie twice. Now, I know it's the early 90s, but how do I know cocaine was involved in this? Because Chevy Chase was there. And John Carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After that, of his feature releases, of movie releases, he made a movie called Village of the Damned in 1995. Which is terrible. Which is... But better than this movie. <laughs> that is true. Village and of the Damned is ter- is better than... It's the last Star- Christopher Reeve movie, I think. Which is a goddamn shame. It is. R.I.P. Christy Alley, Mark Hamill also. Yeah. Uh, Luke Skywalker's in this movie. <laughs> People always try to make The Village of the Damned, which is based on a John Wyndham novel called The Midwich Cuckoos, which is a cool spooky book. And for some reason, no one ever really gets it right. It's The Simpsons made fun of it, how yeah. dumb it is. Simpsons it's, made the best version. They really did. That happens a lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but If you condense anything in the eight minutes and you get the story across, you're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Village of the Damned, man. I rented that, and I just remember thinking, because I... It's boring. It's so boring, which is also a thing that you would never, like... It's one of those weird pitfalls that John Carpenter has sometimes, like The Fog, where sometimes his movies are boring, and that is the absolute kiss of death. I mean, at least they live as bizarro and insane, and you watch the whole damn thing because you say to yourself, what the hell am I watching? But Village of the Damned is boring. So also in 1995, though, a movie that we kind of like. And a return also collaborating. Oh, if you wanted some Village of the Dam stuff, if you want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about Village of oh, the Dam yeah. at all. Let's, let's talk about it's it's the least offensive of his fails. Yes. Because it's just boring and not oh. scary. Like it's not like the other ones where it's incomprehensibly bad. Yes. Good and casting, also, though. Great like casting. Always, he's always good yeah. at casting. Even in his worst movies, he gets good people yeah. in interesting ways. And they're doing the best they can, but it's a bunch of little kids. With fucking, know. you know, L.A. gear lights in their eyeballs. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yes. We have come to watch you. <laughs> Super producer Brian Tepps give the, the big Double thumbs down. Double thumbs down. <laughs> Go <laughs> full Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> but also in that same year, though, he'd make a little bit of a bounce back. Granted, is collaboration with Toby Hooper. And it's an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation called In the Mouth of Madness. Very spooky. It did not do well commercially or critically when it came out, but is another one of his cult classics. And as I said, uh, mistakenly at the beginning, but Steven Spielberg really liked the movie and particularly liked Sam Neill in that movie. And I think that's interesting because that's 95 and Jurassic Park is earlier than that. So he must have, I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but I guess maybe he just likes Sam Neill. I think he likes Sam Neill. Yeah. They're buddies. Yes. And... I was literally reading this interesting thing where I think Spielberg was waxing poetic about how much he liked John Carpenter and how whenever Carpenter would cast somebody, he would say to himself, oh, interesting. That's a guy or a gal that I would like to cast as well. That's cool. I wonder if it's Memoirs of an Invisible Man. He's confusing it, that he likes Sam Neill. 
I'm sure he likes In the Mouth of Madness, but mm-hmm. likes Sam Neill in that anyways. Mm-hmm. Sam Neill's great in everything. Absolutely. He really is. And really an underrated horror guy as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's in possession. I think everybody knows how good Event he is. Event Horizon. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't like I know, but, everybody, but everyone remembers him with his, a spoiler alert, his like, eyes cut out. Yes, I'm the guy from Jurassic Park. That's the quote. So... The last cool guy to pull off a fedora until it became what incels wear. So, any other ma- mouth of in the mouth? I haven't of started talking about it yet. Yes, please. What I mean, I'm just because we so, we've got a couple to go through here. I know, but the plot for in the mouth of madness is Sam Neil is a insurance fraud guy investigating the disappearance of Sutter Kane, who's like Stephen King meets the Antichrist. H.P. Lovecraft. And basically. yeah, H.P. Lovecraft, basically. <laughs> so he disappears. His books are causing people to riot. There's a really cool scene in the beginning where a guy with double pupils crashes through the window with an axe and is like, Have you read Sutter Kane? It's like, it's crazy. But this movie is not great. Mm. But I do really enjoy it. It's mm. a weird, fucked up, dark movie. The grandma from Happy Gilmore's in this, mm-hmm. and she's got some weird tentacle shit going on. I love that. And she's way. got a dead guy underneath the table. Oh, it's the closest Carpenter has gotten in the 90s, actually since Prince of Darkness, to getting yeah. back to being the master of horror. It also has Charlton Heston in it, which I found very amusing. The yeah. The time I, because eh, it's old, crazy I mean, he was always crazy, but now it's old, crazy Charlton yeah. Heston. Can I do a terrible joke here? Yeah. He kept forgetting his lines. <laughs> and now's the time for my good dead heads. Stop yelling that. Say your line. Where yeah. am I? Which one? Are, are you my nurse? Which one of you is the carpenter that's going to finish my deck? <laughs> I'm John Carpenter. Yeah, that's what I said. I don't care what your name is. Finish my deck. Hell, you Mexicans. What? None of what? All right, so after that, he bounces in a way back with... In a way. With maybe of his worst movie cult classics, my favorites, of the terrible John Carpenter cult classics. In 1996, a movie I saw in the theater with my dad and my brother, we had to go see Snake Plissken. It had to happen. There were collector's cups. A mark... A kiss of death sometimes is the 90s collector's cups, okay? Hollywood put some money into this. I don't know what John Carpenter did. I imagine he begged. He did a MacGruber, I'll suck your dick, I'll do it, for Kurt Russell (laughs) to come back. Uh, No, I know, they're pals. And they had wanted to make another, it had long been a thing that John Carpenter had wanted to do, which was bring Snake Plissken back. It just hadn't happened 1996 is Escape from L.A. I like that it's L.A., not Escape from Los Angeles. But let's talk about Escape from L.A., Nick. When was the first time you saw Escape from L.A.? I rented Escape from L.A. from Blockbuster. Mm. I had, at that point, owned the CD since the movie came out. I had watched and probably taped the making of it on HBO. Mm -hmm. I got the collector cup. (laughs) <laughs> I bought an eye patch. <laughs> I tried to feather my hair. You still double take like then. Steve Buscemi? Huh? Steve Buscemi with the craziest human double take ever done in a movie in yeah. which he somehow actually 
There is no animation, but does the wolf in old Looney Tunes, his eyes pop out of his head. It's <laughs> just how he looks. Um, <laughs> Skip thing. from L.A. is one of the dumbest fucking movies <laughs> ever made. And I love it. I love it. I love every second of it. I have a friendship with a man named Needles. Yes. Every time we saw each other, one of us or both of us had just watched Escape from L.A. that day. We have been friends for literally half of our lives because yes. of that movie. Yes. Our friendship was born out of the flames of the paper bag on fire of dog turds. Ugh. That is Escape from L.A. There is a scene <laughs> where Snake Plissken, who's never surfed before, rides away from a tsunami with the guy from Easy Rider. Yes. R.I.P. Peter Fonda. Yes. But Peter Fonda has a surf game. Tsunami, Snake, tsunami. And because he's Snake Plissken, yeah. he can surf too. And you always know a movie is bad if there is a surf scene, a skateboard scene, and the movie has nothing to do with skateboards or surfing. Yeah. Okay? This is not Point Break. No, it's not. <laughs> There's no reason other than this is happening. This movie was written <laughs> by Kurt Russell, Deborah Hill, and yes. John Carpenter. Yes. I'm assuming Why? John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, because they on the director's commentary for this, they're both just admitted they wrote this while they're stoned on their minds. I, they were stoned when they recorded the auto commentary. I'm pretty sure Deborah Hill just came together and was like, okay, this is not a scene, guys. Right. We need to make a movie. But that same element of drugs in Hollywood Cocaine created certain things. It created certain mayhem, certain risk-taking, certain I don't give a fuck, we're going to do it anyway kind of attitudes. This movie is a stoned movie. This yeah. is a you're high out of your mind and you say things like, what if there was a surfing sea? What if, oh, what if there's a bunch of plastic surgeons who have a gang and they're they're hot, they're plastic surgeons and they want to turn everyone into and you you what what yeah. is this movie? And you get Bruce Campbell, yes, Pam Greer, you get Stacy Keach, yes, Steve Buscemi, right, uh, the guy from <laughs> Die Hard who eats the Nestle Crunch while he's shooting the cops in the legs. <laughs> You get that Italian woman that was in that Dana Carvey movie. Yes. You get A.J. Langer. Yeah. How the fuck do I remember her name? I from know. My So-Called Life. Yes. And also, you get some of the wildest stuff out of Kurt Russell, which I appreciate. Yeah. The thing that really stands out is that Kurt Russell is such a truly iconic, magical movie star in which... If Kurt is there, at the very least, this movie will be watchable yeah. because Kurt will make it watchable. You will watch Kurt, for instance, and this is, for me, the testament. I remember this blowing my mind when I saw it. There is a scene in which Kurt Russell, he has to hit these basketball shots in order to not die, which is very L.A. Yeah. <laughs> and in one continuous thing, he does it. He has to hit like five shots in 20 seconds or something. The, they set up the shot clock. He has to make five shots. He can't miss or they're going to shoot him. Right. Because in Escape from New York, right. there's that there's, scene where he like fights the giant guy with all the muscles. Yeah. And this is also because he's a lot smaller than that guy. Right. This is also the running joke in the entire movie that I'm sure Kurt Russell came with. 
oh, I thought you'd be taller, Snake. So they got a short white guy <laughs> shooting baskets. Mm-hmm. And it starts off with a layup and then a little jumper. And also, don't forget, he has the plutonium 7 virus, or whatever the fuck, it's COVID, <laughs> running through his blood. <laughs> so, so he's like, <coughs> I, got the, I got the black lung <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for as great as an actor Kurt Russell is, and as beautiful as his hair is. Oh my God. The man cannot convincingly cough worth a fuck. So then. <laughs> He's no DiCaprio with the cough. No, exactly. So it's a layup, it's a jumper, it's a three point shot, yes. it's half court. Yes. And then as he's like coughing up his lungs, he's <clears throat> he makes the most beautiful full court shot. And that's real. He did yeah. that. And supposedly, according to legend, did it on like the second take. Yeah. Because you have to remember, Kurt Russell was a professional athlete before he became a movie star and just pulled that shit out of his ass. I That was one of the last takes they did in between all the shots when they were doing setups and stuff. He had made sure, because this movie cost $50 million. Oh, <laughs> Well, but it was Snake. It was back. Yeah, it was the exactly. whole thing. They thought the whole cult crowd was going to go opening weekend. They make all their money back. And it was so, just me and my dad and Brendan. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't even go. And I was so hyped about this. I taped the making of it on a VHS tape. That's how old we are, kids. Yes. Those cassettes your emo parents handed to each other. Now imagine that for video. I taped the making of this off of HBO. I didn't go opening weekend. But with their $50 million budget, Kurt Russell made sure that no matter where they were, there were two basketball setups, two hoops, so he could shoot in between takes. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's such a wild estimate. It's basically aping the same plot from Escape from New York. Yeah. And now, preposterously, also L.A. is a prison, sort of, okay, after an earthquake, okay. and <laughs> Earthquake so powerful that L.A. just comes apart <laughs> naturally. <laughs> From the United States, we're like, you know what? It's not like a prison like New York. We're just sending all this sinful people there, yeah. and they can just murder each other. Yeah, just let them do what they yeah. want there. Also, Quervo Jones might be the most racist, stereotypical <laughs> character <laughs> since, and then in a John Carpenter movie from the 80s. <laughs> there is a hang gliding scene. Also, with hang gliding. surfing, skateboarding, Hang gliding goes there too. Yeah. And they pulled no skateboarding. There is almost the trifecta of He dope. rides a horse <laughs> at one point. <laughs> he rides a motorcycle up a thing of garbage mm-hmm. cans, mm-hmm. flies in midair, and then lands it, the front wheel on a convertible. So we have the trifecta. Yes. He hang glides into fucking Happy Kingdom. Into basically Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> because, spoiler alert, Disney did not want to put their name on this. <laughs> Which is shocking. They did not want Magic Kingdom to be part no. of this movie. This is also the start of David Carradine starts making movies with John Carpenter at this yes. point. He is one of the bald thugs who's throwing knives into like the people oh they send God. in there. Hey, hey, Pliskin. And then he's just like, no thanks. And he like snubs him. And then he chases him out and he's like, come back here, you sack of shit. And he like goes to throw a knife at him. And he does that thing from fucking Indiana Jones. He doesn't even look. He just turns his gun behind him and puts like 12 in his chest. <laughs> Snake Plissken shoots a lot of people in this movie. Yeah. He mass murders, I'm going to say, 500 people in this movie, which the one thing with Escape from New York 
it was more subtle. It was like the original Die Hard. He's yeah. trying to kind of figure it out. He's trying to not really draw that much attention to himself. Of course, that falls apart, but that's how plots yeah. work. This, no, 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 no. He shows up. This he's is, shooting everybody. This is basically <laughs> live free or die hard. <laughs> they skipped all the movies in between. Yes. He didn't even get his, his little adventure in New York again with, like, Sam Jackson. They went from, there's literally a scene in Escape from New York where he just sits on a chair. He's like, fuck, what am I going to do? To hang gliding with Pam Greer playing a trans woman with a voice box thing. Yes. Hershey. Hershey. Because get it? Hershey. She's black. Get it? Do you get it? Do you get oh, it? Oh, see, I never even thought about that. I just thought because he became a she, Hershey. That's even goofier. Yeah. That's even dumber. Riding the fucking wings. Yes. The, the, I forgot what they say. Oh, my God. Oh, it's There's real. so much dumb shit. And then, like, he gets shot. In the, Kurt Russell gets shot in the leg. And then he's like, wraps a bandana's leg around. And he's like limping around. And then Steve Buscemi does the double thing where he switches. The, and then they get a helicopter and they shoot a fucking <laughs> missile into it. this movie correctly. It's, yeah. It's this is exactly up. how they wrote it, too. Except Deborah Hill's just write, writing, like, why just am I doing this? Write it down. Write it down while we say this. Deborah Hill's like doing coke, just like, why am I doing this? So then they shoot a fucking missile into the back of the helicopter. Listen to this. They shoot a grenade launcher into the back of the helicopter, burns the people not in the passenger and the front seat alive. They die. They explode. Correct. And the helicopter That's how science works. catches on fire. For some reason, though, <laughs> Kurt Russell yes. flying a helicopter, because he can do that because he's Snake Plissken. He's Snake Plissken. He can do anything. Doesn't catch on fire. Right. Flies all the way back to the mainland. And then kicks out fucking Angela Chase's best friend into the woods and then shows up like, I got your box. <laughs> it's still one of the silliest, insanest movies that I actually enjoy, though. I, I will watch it anytime. Anytime, anywhere, Escape from L.A. It's, if you would say this was directed by John Wu, I would have believed you. I, Except I, there's not enough doves in slow motion. I, I think this is my own personal theory. John Carpenter put all the last of his John Carpenter director magic juice into Escape from L.A. Absolutely. He put every last bit he had left, and when it didn't work, it kind of bummed him out at a level. <laughs> no, he talks about He, he lost. He does not like making movies. After that, I imagine entirely. I get it. I mean, because this was supposed to be the return of form. This was collector's cups. This was supposed to be Escape from L.A. This was supposed to be the return. This was Empire Strikes Back. Like I want to read something. Yes. This is something John Carpenter later reflected on and said this. Escape from L.A. is better than the first movie. Ten times better. It's got more to it. It's more mature. It's got a lot what? more to it. I think some people didn't like it because they felt it was a remake, not a sequel. I suppose it's the old question. What do you like better? Rio Bravo or El Dorado, they're essentially the same movie. They both have their strengths and weaknesses. How stoned <laughs> is John Carpenter He's to compare this to El Dorado? Out of his mind, stoned. Also, this begs the question, was Roger Ebert a secret stoner? Because he gave this oh, movie yeah. three and a half stars out of four. Escape from L.A. has... Such manic energy, such a weird cockeyed vision that it may work on some moviegoers as satires and on others as the real thing. Side subject with that, 
Ebert openly talked about how when he quit drinking, he basically just started smoking weed. And yeah. the, basically his he claimed that his wife saved him and he was out of control with the drinking. And then she was like, why don't we just hang out at the house and smoke yeah. weed? And he was like, all right, that's fine. Quit going to the bar. Yes. Quit trying to fight that fucker from the Today Show. <laughs> yes. As Super Producer Brian Tepps just said, Escape from L.A. is John Carpenter's pop album, but it is the poppiest of pop albums. He's also trying, he's trying to hit all the beats that big budget movies want, but it was right at this weird moment. The mid-90s was a weird moment. The shadow is coming out, the phantom, lots of bad big budget stuff. And I wonder too if maybe by this point, audiences had a weird, I remember I had a weird taste in my mouth for action movies that Hollywood was putting out at the time. They were terrible. They were pretty stupid, most of them. There were some interesting ones that flew under the radar a little bit, but for the most part, they were pretty stupid. Everybody wanted to make a Shane Black movie or they wanted to reinvent comic books. And nobody knew to do either Yes, until Feig. And guess what? Shane Black yeah. came back and started writing movies again. Yeah, and it would be a while before yeah. people would figure that out. Because you're also, that's Batman Forever, Batman and Robin territory. You're talking about just... Can I interrupt you for a second? Hmm. Listen to our Joel Schumacher episode. Yes, please listen to Joel. That's one of my favorite episodes. It's so fun. And if you don't know who Joel is, you really should. Yeah. If, you're, if you're a movie nerd... Because he knows who you are. <laughs> he watch, He's dead now. He watches you while you sleep. Um, so, any other Escape from L.A. thoughts? I love it. I know. I love it. I love it. it. It's my favorite of his bad cult classics. Yeah. By far, by leaps and bounds. After, I have entire friendships based on this film. It's We're going to have a dumpster. We're going to have a wall. And spoiler alert, I think it's on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember putting Escape from L.A. on my actual Blockbuster wall when I worked there. So did I, actually. Because I just said to myself, you need to watch this movie. What are you doing? You're, you're wandering around Blockbuster. This was the thing people used to do. You're wandering around Blockbuster aimlessly. You don't know what to watch. Have you ever seen this? This is the very least yeah. something tonight that's going to be a different night than your other nights if you've never seen this. I, I guarantee I've told this story on here before. I'm going to say it again. Escape from L.A. was on my wall. I was a manager at the time, so I had like a full mm -hmm. shelf. I had eight movies up there. And I was walking around. Are you going to help me find anything? you going to help me find anything? you going to help me find anything? Some guy's like, no, I'm just checking this out. He goes, what's your name? I go, Nick. He goes, looks at my, he goes, these are your movies? Yeah, I recommend those. So it was like, Amelie. Escape from New York, Waking Life, and then in the middle were a bunch of other weird shit. And he just looks at me and goes, you smoke a lot of weed, don't you? I go, yeah, I'm high right now. <laughs> He's like, cool. So he grabbed one of my movies. And then just lit up a crack pipe. He's yeah, like, you know. Time to get lit, bro. <laughs> I was a big fan of Jason Patrick in that movie. <laughs> After that, it would be two years before he would make another movie. He would make a movie in 1998 about James Woods. Apparently. Coming for liberals. <laughs> for, which is bizarre because the one thing in Escape from L.A. that is kind of prescient is that this hyper-religious American fascist government doesn't like Hollywood, doesn't like music, doesn't like Snake Plissken. I got to tell you, I don't know when you guys are listening to this, but there's some weird uh, point A to point B that maybe John Carpenter called a little bit of what we're living. Right. There's an idiocracy touch. 
of him nailing it on what the government in Escape from L.A. is versus our current government. I mean, all you have to do is ask me if I want to go hang gliding. <laughs> I got the machine guns. Let's, <laughs> Let's do, it. do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Also, Cuervo Jones for president. I'm fine with it. All right, so yeah. in 1998, he makes a movie called... Now, I don't know how they came up with this title because I guarantee this took a while. It's called Vampires. I wonder what this movie's about. Super producer Brian Tepps, what do you think this movie's about? John Carpenter. John Carpenter's vampires. Yes, of course. All of his movies, John Carpenter, except for the movies he is ashamed of. It's not John Carpenter's memoirs of an invisible Chevy Chase, but James Woods is the leader of a band of vampire hunters in league with the Catholic Church. Like, uh, you want to talk about a boring, stupid-ass movie. I, here's <laughs> the reason why. First of all, James Woods looks like a giant penis. We need to put that out there. He is a giant penis. He is a giant penis. I've never seen him with a shirt off. I'm pretty sure he just I'm, has thank foresc- God he, he just has foreskin hiding. I saw him with his shirt off once, and he was <laughs> fucking his chest vagina with oh, a gun. Oh, that's right. He is a giant jagoff. And in this movie, which I tried to watch on Amazon yeah. recently, he is wearing the most insane mom jeans ever with his shirt tucked in that no matter how, <laughs> no matter how, like, Hurt he gets by car accidents, vampires, or Daniel Baldwin. His shirt never comes on top. Oh, fucking Daniel Baldwin's in this movie. The worst Baldwin of the balls in this. But there's a reason this movie is so boring, and all of the action sequences are montages. At the last second, Largo Entertainment lost their faith in this movie and slashed the budget from 60 to 20 million. Oh, I so get it. So John Carpenter had to take the two scripts that were made of this film and turn it into his own movie because he had to fit it within $20 million. This is the fall of John Carpenter. The fall. But this should be called Through John... The floor. This should be called John Carpenter being fucked over by budgets. I'm going to come out on a limb here. If you gave him $300 million to make vampires with James Woods, would it have been good? It would have been better than this. <laughs> it would have been better. I, yeah. But also, you can imagine, we gave you $60 bucks. you're sending dailies of this shit? This is what you're doing with the initial 20 we gave you? What the no, fuck no, no, is no. this? Before anything. This was pre-production that budget oh. got caught. He literally they had... said, wait, you hired Daniel Baldwin to be no, in this movie? They actually... We're slashing Al- the budget. Alec Baldwin wanted to be in it because he loves John Carpenter. This is what I'm talking about! But he bailed because of scheduling. So he's like, you know, uh, my brother kind of looks like me. <laughs> Not that one. Not that one. You get Billy. Yeah. If you want... If you want the B Baldwin, you get Billy. Exactly. Billy is the one who can kind of act. His name starts with a B. He's, he's the B Baldwin. He's also handsome. Alex starts with an A. Daniel's an asshole. Daniel's the D level. His name starts with a D. The other one's a Trump. I don't know his name. Fuck him. Anyways, you know who he originally wanted is Jack Crow? Who? R. Lee Emery. Well, the this fucking is a drill big... sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. That would have been the greatest movie that ever fucking made, made. That also makes more sense if you're going to have like a weird Catholic maniac who's yeah. out to kill the, he's Van Helsing, he's out to kill the vampires, and he's this Captain Ahab type character. James Woods is wrong. James, all over. It is the wrong For casting. everything. He is not Captain Ahab. He's this shithead yeah. right-wing he's dildo. He's always James Woods. His character in this is basically the same as his character in Another Day in Paradise, where he plays a junkie thief in the 60s. There's no difference. I It's... Larry Clark movie, by the way. Yes. Bizarrely, the budget, $20 million, box office, 
$21 million. <laughs> you know what I remember? Here's the thing, though. So this movie opened- That's more money than a skip for- <laughs> You did. Which is fucked up. Here's the thing, though. This movie opened, I remember this so much. It fucking hurts my brain <laughs> that I have to pull this memory out yes. for this. Put it on our Patreon so I could buy some antidepressants. Please. Um, this movie was number one at the box office. Mm-hmm. It came out October 30th, right? Mm-hmm. It was a Friday. Really nothing else opened that weekend. Yep. This movie, it's opening weekend, made $13 million. Ooh. The rest of the time it was in the movie theater. Like, I want to say, like, three more weeks, it made seven. Yeah. Yeah. The next week, it dropped from one to, like, five. People heard about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I saw it in the theater because I was a John Carpenter loyalist, even up to the movie after this. I watched it, and I had to say to myself, things are escalating in the wrong direction this is this was the first one to me also truly that did not look like a movie it looked like crap the sets are bad the dialogue is i mean he always had kind of some moronic dialogue in there but this is it's bad this is cw level moronic dialogue this looks exactly like a movie that would premiere on cinemax barely at like 11 p.m. at night. <laughs> yes. This is garbage. Also, like, if he wanted to do something really interesting. Right. Because this is how it comes off when you watch the movie. If you want Daniel Baldwin and James Woods to be gay for each other. Mm-hmm. Just, that's a movie. That's a movie. Just go really into Ooh, it. Because yes, he beats up that priest. He's like, yellow wood. Huh? He literally just, he spends the whole movie like talking about dicks. And like there's oh, a yeah. scene where- oh, There's so much homoeroticism. It's the most homoerotic movie John Carpenter ever made. It's like exclusively dudes too. Yeah. There's one woman in it and she's a sex worker and, and they she, treat her like shit. Because, the whole because movie women, Nick, I don't know if you know, should be treated with derision because they are girls and they are not- up to vampire hunting. This movie it's, is so bad. It's so but like, it would have been so much more interesting and the movie would have made so much more sense yeah. if Daniel Baldwin and, um, I literally James forgot. Woods. James Woods. Were like weird ex-lovers and like they kept working together. Like it was Sleater kidding with vampires. Also- That would have been so much better because there's like a part in the movie where Daniel Baldwin's like, well, I get nervous when you're not around, all right? I get scared. Like- <laughs> It was the cutest thing they ever. Should they should kiss. They should kiss. It was so cute. I'm like, why isn't this the movie? Oh, why are they gay vampire hunters? Oh, my God. This is a much better it's movie. It's a better movie. Oh, I would have loved watching. Like, in the theater, I'd be like, this is surprising. This is surprising. <laughs> these are the least, these are the two least attractive men I've ever seen. But they belong together. And I hope they kill that vampire who the head vampire is the bad guy. He's the corporate bad guy from fucking Karate Kid 3. Also, cinematography by Gary Brian Kibbe. Yeah. Who is also the cinematographer for Robocop 3 and Double Dragon. And that's it. (laughs) This isn't Gary B. Kybe. This is a different guy. Oh, Kybe. Is that how you pronounce it? He did a lot of John Carpenter. He did the fucking Ghost of Mars. Oh, so he... (laughs) Yeah. He took that off his own Wikipedia page. That's amazing. Yeah, it looks Wouldn't like you? It, it looks like a goddamn Gary Kybe. Whatever you want to call yourself, you son of a bitch. Wow. That is Okay, this is his thing. He did Prince of Darkness, mm-hmm. which looks good because yeah. it's all in the dark. Right. It Here's looks the okay. Th- 
Prison, no, Prison of Darkness looks retro. It's not in the eighties, even. Right. There, it, there's a look to it. It has but, a look to it. Right. We're not. They talking, live has some weird setups not, we uh, both liked. It's not the thin red line. <laughs> no, it is not the thin red line <laughs> in any regard. There's when he does the cinematography. There's no natural lighting. No. Even the sun's <laughs> fake. So yeah, he goes from. This they came live, out the same year as Thin Red Line, which is why I bring it up. Yeah, it came out the same year as. Uh, oh, that's really depressing. Yes, it came out the same year as Saving Private Ryan. It came out the same year as. I mean, there are movies that came out in 1998 that look amazing, amazing, and this came out in the same movie theaters. It looked like horseshit. It looked like. <laughs> Holy shit. This it looked guy, like some people who had never filmed a movie before were just dicking around with a camera. He died in March of COVID this year. R.I.P. R.I.P. I don't wish death on him. I don't wish death on him, but I mean, I mean just at least a, he's not shooting any more movies. It looks dumb as shit. I'm sorry. Cut that out. If a movie looks dumb as shit. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I'm, he would like that joke. Yeah. Gary Keeb always liked. You leave it in? That's fine, fuck it. Gary Keeby always liked those kind of, you know. Yeah, those really dark jokes. He liked us mocking him mercilessly. <laughs> Vampire sucks. Vampires is terrible. And after vampires, should we go into the next one? We have to. We have to. We're at that point. Before he goes into the last of his movies, they thought about bringing him back for Halloween H2O. And it was very, very close. And instead of giving him the director job, interestingly enough, to be cool, I guess Universal just decided to give him a bigger cut of the Halloween rights. Wow. And so almost in a weird, the rare story in Hollywood where they said, John, we don't want you to direct Halloween H2O, but we're not going to be dicks about it. We want you to kind of consult on it, and we want to give you where you had 2%, we're going to give you 5% of, like, the Halloween and you got the job, Steve Miner. Yeah, yeah. And is uh, that real? Uh, I don't know. It was some other dingo. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it was Steve Miner. Yeah. How do I remember that? I don't remember like. Yeah. But he directed a lot of the Hall- like. They brought he directed him- one of the Friday Thirteenth movies. Right. Yeah. Right. So that was a thing where Carpenter maybe almost came back to direct Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. returning, and and he did get an executive producer role on it. He did apparently consult on it. And I remember Halloween H2O being much more watchable than a lot of the other yeah. Halloweens. And uh, then the new one that came out, uh, he EP'd, and yes. uh, he wrote the music for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was wrote a the music for Halloween H2O. Yeah. So, no, he has a really good relationship with Universal because they released... Uh, Halloween 2018 and The Thing and um, a lot of his movies. They like they. I think Universal actually likes John Carpenter. I think so too. And I also don't think that John Carpenter ever really burned bridges in that way. Where just with Chevy. Yeah, that's fine. And possibly Daniel Baldwin. God hoping. <laughs> but I don't think that Carpenter was ever regarded as like some sort of pariah or something. No. Like, and also we'll get into this. But the thing that Carpenter always kept doing and always kept getting better at was being a composer and yeah. was his music has gotten better. We've seen him live in concerts. His son, Cody Carpenter is an amazing musician. Their band is awesome. And I think that universal as one of the smarter movie studios, not as insane as Warner brothers or Fox or places like that genuinely understood. Well, maybe John is not 
a really great movie director anymore, but he's still a really good composer. Yeah. He's still a good producer. He's still somebody who we should keep a lot of actors still like him and want to work with him. Jamie Lee Curtis basically said she would do it if John directed it, but then he came in and they created the whole deal. And because he EP'd, she still did it. So, you know, I mean, that kind of thing where I bet you Carpenter is, is one of those guys. He's a mensch in yeah. that way and doesn't take it too hard because he's rich as shit. And he's like, oh. Yeah, they've remade, <laughs> like, five of his movies at this point. And he gets a cut. Yeah. Because Universal said, You want to make a version of The Fog with Selma Blair? How much do I get? <laughs> and also in a weird thing where sometimes if you took somebody's licensed thing that they came up with and said, we don't want you to direct this because you're not good at directing anymore. But we want you to be part of it because you're still you and you're creative. And we want you to write the score because you're still an awesome composer some people would be super pissed off about this. Yes. But apparently John was like, you know what? I think you guys are right. <laughs> I think he's, you, he's, are. you know why? Because he still had time to play video games and watch the Lakers. Yes. Yeah. He, he didn't want to direct anymore after Escape from L.A. Mm-hmm. He said making movies is not fun anymore. Right. And he signed on to Vampires because they gave him all this creative control, and then they slashed his budget to mm-hmm. shit. But he still did it anyways because he was like, yeah, I, I want to make this. I like the story. I feel like John Carpenter just does whatever he wants to fucking do. Yeah. Because he can. He has this freedom because he created genres, like we said. He created fucking actors. He created all these things. He's John Carpenter. Yes. So if he wants to show up on set and be like, you know, the shape wouldn't walk like that. For real. Why don't you slow him down? Yeah. Just slower. And also Sweet he's him there. He's Give John- him a Dr. Pepper. And also, I bet you he likes, he's just on set. He's a little high. He ate an edible. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't have to actually direct the whole movie. No. He hates that. But sometimes they come and say, hey, John, what do you, what do you think about this? And you go, this is his wheelhouse. It's like, well, maybe, yeah. uh, maybe they, they stab him in the head with the knife. Oh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> That's like. <laughs> or they walk over and be like, John, what do you think about this? He goes, who's what are you? He's like, I'm David Gordon Green. I'm the director. Who's the one from Eastbound and Down? <laughs> that's, what uh, that's McBride's over there. They oh. talk about Jody Hill. Jody Hill just shows up and punches him in the face. <laughs> Jody Hill actually had nothing to do with the Halloween movie. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm a much more bigger fan of McBride and uh, David Gordon Green. You're you're much more Jody Hill. That's I, how we have our favorite episodes. I, of- I know. I love them both. Yeah. But I do love Jody Hill. Yeah. I love his. We'll have a Jody Hill episode. We'll have a David Gordon Green episode. Yeah. I love. Talk about hits and misses. Ooh, for real. But also, I love... It's like Shaq shooting free throws. T- but but the difference with them is they take big old shots. Oh, yeah. And massive risks. Those shots miss because they're taking wild at... They're yeah. on a horse with a rifle trying to take a shot at a plate in the air. And David Gordon Green has made a movie in every genre possible at this yes. point. Yes, yes. Granted, the first four movies he made were all in the genre of Terrence Malick. Yes, he was, which he went to the uh, North Carolina School for the Arts, which I also went to. And it's definitely a place that it's like Columbia College Chicago loves Orson Welles. And they love that classical postmodern cinema. North Carolina School of the Arts, their film school, loves the new school. And if you basically say that you want to make movies like Terrence Malick or P.T. Anderson... They go, welcome to the North Carolina School of the Arts, because that's what we want. We want you to make 
deep movies. We want yeah. Oscar movies. And it's so funny that after a while, though, this is, we're on a whole different subject. No, but I know, like, but it, it all, it's like, we were tying it all in together. Right. Yes. Like you go from George Washington mm. to This is the End and Prince Avalanche mm. to literally Halloween, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Those are the right. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends are coming out. And Carpenter is exactly producing that. And he's doing the music. We and we were talking about the music. We saw him live. Right. It was amazing. He doesn't do anything on stage other than old man dance and hit the keyboard a couple times. Yeah. But you know what? I don't want him to do anything else. No. I want him to be the fucking ham and the yeah. legend he is up there he is. with a fucking skullet and way too much weed in his system, dancing around to Kurt Russell driving a truck. I still to this day in California film school put him as three after fucking. Steven Spielberg, obviously, and, like, George Lucas Coppola, but I, there's an element to me where I put Carpenter ahead of Coppola. Yeah. I, like, he's so influential. His shit is so fucking good, the stuff that was good, and also his music is still good. His music is still good. Like, he put out Lost Themes first. Also, yes. Sacred Bones yes. deserves credit as a record label. Agreed. For going, oh, yeah, dude, you're great. We'll put yeah. out whatever you want to do. And sacred, like he put out Lost Themes where it's like the progression on the albums is amazing because Lost Themes is basically music for movies he never made. Yeah. Not that he like didn't get a chance to or just like he got high with his kid and his godson mm -hmm. and we're like, let's jam out. Let's jam and out. And he made weird fucking synthy shit. And it's like, as Teps pointed out earlier today, there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of precision. There's a lot mm -hmm. of sounds there. Everything's very deliberate. Lost Themes 2... That is straight up music for movies for other people. Mm -hmm. That's how he got the job. And Lost Themes too, the music is all like flowing. Yeah. Cause like he sort of has like this repetition thing with the synth and the drums. And then like there's all these overlaying parts that play this. Whereas Lost Themes 2 is like, it's like a wandering baseline, is like tempos change. And like it's not John right. Carpenter no. music for John Carpenter films. No. It's and now he's just this weird 72 year old stoner. Who gets to do whatever He's he wants. He's the master of horror. He's the master of horror once again. And, and it's interesting that you brought this story up, but I wonder, as kind of a Marvel origin story, that when William Goldman said, I'm too old and too rich for this shit, that there was something that hit John Carpenter in his head, where at a certain point, he himself yeah. said, you know what, that fucking guy is right. Yeah. I am also too old and too rich for this shit. I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to put up with people talking shit about my movies. It's just a <laughs> goddamn shame he didn't say that before he directed Ghost of Mars. Because that is the second to last movie he would ever direct. This is his last theatrical release. His last theatrical release. It also makes a certain amount of sense because it was supposed to be the end of the trilogy. It's supposed to be Escape from Mars. Yeah. There's supposed to be a prison colony on Mars. And Snake Plissken is there, and there's an escape from Mars, which sounds cool on paper. Sounds great. Yes, sounds like something I would want to watch. But by that point, things had fallen apart. And then it had been a pre-production, and somehow in those weird pre-production Hollywood stories, it still came together. They still made the movie. They made Ice Cube as Snake Plissken. He's not Snake Plissken. If they would have just made Ice Cube Snake Plissken, that would yeah, have been yeah. kind of awesome. But they turned him into... yes. NWA in space. We talked about this where genuinely after we watched this movie, if someone held me down and put a gun to my head and say, tell me the plot of Ghosts of Mars, 
I'd be like, dude, you got to shoot me in the head now because I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea what it's about. The lady from Species. Who is, is a- Courtney Love until two <laughs> weeks before they started shooting, yes. by the way. Courtney Love. She thought. Think about all the choices she made in her life. She goes, you know what? This is bad for me. She thought Kurt Russell was going to be there. Yeah. She's like, wait, no Kurt Russell? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not doing that. But Natasha Hendrich is dressed up like a Gestapo officer. And then the entire movie is a flashback based With, on her Gestapo trial. Oh, my God. <laughs> and there are in face se- cannibals. <laughs> there are Inception-level flashbacks within the flashback. Mm-hmm. Like, at one point, I just was like, whose flashback is this? What is this shit? However, I will say, Carpenter, the first time I ever remember seeing Jason Statham. Yeah. He... A-list movie star Jason Statham. He was like, that guy's a, a guy. Ice Cube is a cultural icon. Yes. He was still picking good people. Yeah. Natasha Hendrich also at the height of the being. Peak the peak Natasha Hendrich. And he was picking the right people for these movies. That woman from Blade Runner and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Also, he gets Pam Greer back. For at, like an hour, for like 20 minutes. At the height of her return yeah. of, I love Pam Greer. But I love I mean, Pam Greer. But like late 90s was absolutely after the 70s. After Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, I mean, that was when you got Pram Greer to be the second on the movie poster. I mean, and him just to have all these people, to have all this stuff, and for it to suck so hard is so devastating. It's so devastating that Ghost of Mars is trash. The only way this movie could have been worse is if Chevy Chase had a cameo. Yes. And he didn't, luckily. No. But like we were Unless saying, he was one of those cannibals. I don't. <laughs> like he, I was in the bathroom and you rewound it for me. There's a fucking scene where this woman is trying to escape from Mars in a hot air balloon. Yes, and she just goes, <laughs> "Let that sink in." By the way, yes, John Carpenter was like, "No, no, no." It's also the boss from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Yeah, <laughs> who's the one of the fucking um, replicants from? Yes, Blade Runner. I didn't never Blade piece Runner. that together. Yes. she's the one who gets shot in the back. It is the best stunt in the whole movie. Yeah, But, but she's, she's in a hot air balloon. <laughs> she's in a hot air balloon trying to escape from Mars. And this, this part almost killed Alex when we were watching it. She goes, oh, shit. And then she crashes. <laughs> but what happens afterwards is this beautiful and impressive piece of cinema yeah. where you watch this hot air balloon explode and the gases in it explode. It's like, okay, where's the rest of this fucking movie? Yeah, it's not there. And then there's a flashback where they go into the cave where they oh my god it's not there's not even ghosts it's bacteria that is being they're called midichlorians they're midichlorians <laughs> being possessed by the racism Liam Neeson <laughs> that like they come out of the ground this bacteria <laughs> and bacteria possesses the coal miners of Mars who yes. are terraforming who the turn planet. into WWF wrestlers Oh, yeah. <laughs> bringing it all back to Rowdy. <laughs> it's like if you had Juggalo Day, but it was, you know what? Let's offend Native Americans on it's, Mars. It's one of the stupidest things ever made. They speak this garbage language where it's not even like, it's just literally gibberish. It yes. sounds like a Rick and Morty joke. Like, at least Borat speaking Hebrew. That's his whole thing. Like it's not it's not what they speak in Kazakhstan, he's speaking right. Hebrew. Right. Like these guys, there's only one guy that speaks out of these weird Native American, like, I don't know, it, it's blasphemous. 
like give them some fake language. Make them speak Polish. Make them speak anything. No, they're speak- bad. They're Martian. Rah! Yeah. Literally, the guy's gonna get you, Hulk Hogan. Like, <laughs> literally, he's a. He sounds like a fucking turkey. It's an abomination. Yeah. It's in a film abomination, and it is the end of his career. Of his career. Of his film career. Of his film Thank career. Thank God the man knows how to play a synthesizer. Yes. After that, he would become who he maybe wanted to be. Just a the cool point, guy. Which is a cool rock star, which he still is. Yeah. And still doing it. All right, I think it's time. I think we've gone through this enough. I think we've trashed the man. Um, Real fast, though. Yes. Ghost of Mars has two more things that are high points. Do it. One of them you pointed out, it's Natasha Hendricks' husband. Yes. Dragging a man in, and then a fucking, they're throwing paper plates. They're supposed to be like saws, and just cuts off his arm at the elbow, and then he's just like, ah! And he's shooting a gun. It's awesome. It's awesome. The other one is so over the top and cheesy that it's accidentally awesome. They're waiting for a train to show up because, you know, the red line never shows up no. on Mars. <laughs> and That's a Chicago joke, everybody. Chicago joke. Ah, And Ice Cube in his pajama pants. He wears pajama pants the whole movie. Even mm-hmm. when he leaves a part of Mars to go to another part later and shows up. Anyways, it's Tommy so dumb. Rolls. The ending makes no sense. He wears Martian camouflage pajama yeah. pants. He just turns around and goes... You got a plan B? Yeah, same as plan A. And he goes, all right, I got a plan. He turns around and goes, come on, you mindless motherfuckers. And then just starts shooting Uzis up in the air. He shoots like 60 people with 20 bullets. It's amazing. And John Carpenter said to himself, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hey, John, you want to take another, you want to do another take? Why? Why? I, um, I think we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> he essentially at that point became that guy in The Simpsons where... Homer jumps in the news. He's like, all right, go cut the commercial. Cut. He's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I'm trying to get fired. <laughs> I think it's time for the dumpster, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the wall. So it's time for that classic blockbuster film school dumpster. That's also my wrestling name, the dumpster. My wrestling name is the same as my porno name, Princess Diana. The Duchess. Don't ruin it. So we're going to do two dumpsters. We're going to do two wall in this period of John Carpenter. Did we do a wall for him of the entire thing last time? No, we just did the the first part. So what do you think maybe? Let's just do these because this is clearly a director in two different mindsets and we should respect. Fair. Time for them dumpster picks. All right. On my dumpster, I'm putting... First and foremost, up front, memories, memoirs of an invisible man. It is garbage. Chevy Chase is a moron. I apologize to you, Daryl Hannah, (laughs) that you had to do this because you were also in Blade Runner, but it is trash. And I don't even think you can rent it anywhere. What's your dumpster pick there, Nick? My first dumpster pick is also the movie that Warner Brothers took all the copies of and burned. Ooh. It's Memoirs of Invisible Man. <laughs> it's, I don't remember. It's trash. It's garbage. It belongs it's, in a dumpster, and wherever its VHS copies are, I would imagine, are in a landfill. Yeah. All right, what is your number one? We'll flip for your dumpster. Here's the thing. Ghost of Mars does hold a weird place in my heart because wow. that was the first John Carpenter <laughs> movie I saw in theaters. Wow. 
Hey, man. I, no, I'm, I'm just, it's more surprising. I'm not well, like, I mean, like. In the Muffin Madness came out when I was like 12. I didn't realize it was even out. First one I saw in the theater was Escape from LA. Yeah. So. And then at that point, I was just like, eh, I don't think it's going to be good, but I'm going to wait for it. And then Vampires, I was like, no. But Ghost of Mars, first John Carpenter movie I saw in theaters. Also, it is so wildly ignorant. <laughs> That it thinks it's a movie. Yes. And it is not. It is a star. It's almost captivating. It has a wipe. It has several wipes. Several wipes. <laughs> several flashbacks. Yes. It wastes Clea Duvall. It wastes everybody. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I gotta go with vampires <laughs> because it's offensive to the human race. Yes. It's terrible. <laughs> it's James Woods in a leather jacket not making out with Daniel Baldwin. That should have been the movie. Yes. Also, Sherilyn Finn, she was in fucking Twin Peaks. She deserves better, <laughs> she deserves better than, than Thomas Ian Griffin <laughs> turning her into a vampire and then, like, forcing some weird oral sex on her. Yes. Also, Ugh. Daniel Baldwin ends up with her in this movie, and he spends the whole movie beating the shit out of her while she's a vampire. It's it's a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie. I agree. It's, oh. <laughs> Oh, my brain hurts. I know. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It makes me upset. I'm just going to say mine is Village of the Damned because it is boring and lame and also wastes a lot of talent. It wastes a lot of talent. I could just, as you said, dunk on Ghosts of Mars, but that's not even even worthy of being in the dumpster. It is not a movie at all. Uh, Village of the Damned had money, had backing, had... People trying to make it into a movie. And yeah, did it's it. kind of amazing. You could take a movie with Luke Skywalker and yeah. Superman and yeah. turn it into something that my mom said, turn that shit off. <laughs> Watch it when your father and I go to bed. <laughs> it's that bad. It's that bad. All right. Now it's time for our two picks of the latter era of John Carpenter, our blockbuster film school. Whoa. It's time for the blockbuster film school. Whoa. <laughs> What's your two? My two, number two, my two, Captain O Captain. I can't remember any of his fucking movies right now. Since <laughs> you actually like of these. <laughs> uh, number two is In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. We didn't spend a lot of time on it. It's got some genuinely weird, freaky shit, shit in it. But that's all like, you know, split up between a bunch of boring shit, but also. <laughs> Sam Neill's amazing. Yes. That weirdo guy from Gremlins 2, the new batch, who owns mm. the thing, he's in it, and he's great. And also, you get to see Sam Neill apologize to a guy after he kicks him in the balls. <laughs> Too sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, he just... <laughs> That's how British people... Sorry about the... He's Australian. He just goes, <laughs> sorry about the balls! Like, it's generally creepy. It's 70% a movie. Yeah. It yeah. is. It's I good. Agree. And then just... That is the first movie, though, where John Carpenter just starts getting guitar players to play, like, drop-D bullshit. But, hey. <laughs> yes. Also, why go against how great a composer you are? You should... Because but... it was the 90s, bro. I hey? know. It was time for rock licks. <laughs> My number two, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It is bonkers. It doesn't make any sense. But that makes it kind of awesome. 
It is the greatest Rowdy Roddy Piper movie of all time. It is They Live. Put on your magic sunglasses and see some aliens and punch them in the face. That's that movie. That's it. That's that movie. Uh, what's your number one, Nick? Escape from LA. Yeah, that's mine too. Yeah. All right. It's, it's just tsunami snake. Tsunami. It's funny shit. It is absolute nonsense. Yes. But in the best way possible. In the best way possible. And it ends with Snake Plissken looking dead into the camera and going, Welcome to the human race. When he shuts off the world. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Eat this shit. He shuts off the world. Oh, I'm emo as fuck, but I also have a machine gun. It's <laughs> his hair looks great. His hair looks his hair looks amazing. His hair goes into a wave yeah. on the poster for Escape yeah. from LA. That's also, how epic his hair is. Also, the thing we didn't mention is Snake gets captured by these little person dwarves, and they take him to the chief surgeon of Beverly Hills, right. played by that Bruce happens. Campbell. This yes. happens. They gave him a little dart yes. that he keeps in his shirtless shirt, and he reaches <laughs> in there with his teeth and takes it from underneath his shirt and sucks into his mouth. Mm-hmm. And then when Bruce Campbell, with his glorious chin, comes around and is hamming it up is. like a Thanksgiving dinner... <laughs> He somehow manages to shoot a dart directly into this guy's forehead, which knocks him out so quickly yeah. that he immediately collapses Schindler's List style, <laughs> uses his fucking surgeon tool to sh- go right through all the ropes that he's got him tied up to. Yes. And then Snake escapes, grabs a gun, takes him hostage. Deborah Hill wrote this scene. Yes. Deborah Hill they wrote smoked mad weed. <laughs> R.I.P. Deborah Hill. I love you. Agreed. And it's kind of the story of the Wizard of Oz, if you really think about it. He goes to the place, he gets captured by the little people, and <laughs> eventually taken to the wizard. It's real stupid, but it's Escape from L.A. Yeah. And it's fabulous. Before we close this down on one of our favorite filmmakers of all time, one of the most influential filmmakers of all time. We gotta pay some respects. We gotta pay some respects. I'm just gonna put it out there. The Thing, Halloween... Escape from New York, for me, Big Trouble in Little China. I mean, these are movies that just, you should watch. You should watch them. You should experience them. They are not like the movies they make now. They are not like anybody's movies they've ever made before. I mean, Halloween got copied by everybody. It created its own genre. Escape from New York created a weird horror sci-fi genre. So much so that... John Carpenter has sued multiple people and won. Luke Besson literally gave John Carpenter enough money that he doesn't do anything for like three years. Yeah. I mean, the guy creates amazing ideas. Yeah. And there was a period, it was called the 80s and the late 70s, where he was kicking it out, kicking out the jams as a director. And then, I don't know what happened, but... He just got tired of... This is the thing. We talked about this episode. He's against authority. He's a rebel. He He just wants to fucking do things his own way. And eventually, like, after 11 years of writing out, like, I made this and this and this, it comes down to what did you do last? And what he did last was Prince of Darkness. And that was the end of the last, the first part. And it didn't make as much money as everybody hoped. And it was creepy. But 
the three of us in this room yes. hate being told what to do. I think nobody hates being told what to do more than John Carpenter. And when you start telling him what to do, he's either going to fight you yeah. or he's just going to walk the fuck away. Yeah. Just and he, he's walked away so far. Yeah. He's become icon status mm -hmm. for what he is. He doesn't have to do anything else, but yet he still keeps giving us cool shit. He's so fucking cool. He went on tour. We got to go watch him yeah. at the Aragon. Yes. The fact that now he is a rock star and has an amazing band that is basically just John Carpenter music, and that's better. The resurgence of him as an artist is something that I truly love, that just because his movie director career fell apart was not the end of John Carpenter. No, that he was... is truly an artist. He's not just a director. Right. I think that's a good place to end because yeah. I love the guy. He is one of the most iconic artists in the history of America. We got the heart from, uh, yes, the hand-shaped heart from fucking I love, I love the fucking guy. I love John Carpenter. And watch his classics. This is why you listen to Blockbuster Film School. Watch the goofball ones we just told you on our wall. You can jump over some of the real trash. But even in his goofy cult classic ones, there's fun. There's Escape from L.A., come on. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's fabulous in its own insane way. My epitaph's going to read, Tsunami Snake, Tsunami. <laughs> Mine's going to say, died in a hang glider accident <laughs> while fighting Cuervo Jones. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, team, I hope you enjoyed this two-part episode of Blockbuster Film School. If you want to throw us some bucks on Patreon, we have a Patreon, Blockbuster Film School, at Patreon. We have an amazing Instagram run by Mr. Nicholas Souter. Follow us on Instagram. Be fabulous. We're doing some Facebook stuff, even though Mark Zuckerberg's a piece of shit. And uh, Super Producer Brian Taps, I can't thank him enough yeah. for that intro music. It's amazing. He also does, obviously, the most amazing job producing the show. So we're one day, if you guys want Super Producer Brian Taps to have a microphone and speak with his real voice, I'll speak with my real voice. Shut up, Brian. If you want him to speak with his real voice... Throw us some bucks on Patreon yeah. so we can get the guy a microphone. It'll be time. It'll be fun as shit. I had a great time. DJ Nick, did you have a good time? I had a great time. Super producer Brian Tepps, you have a good time? He's yeah, good. I did. It was so good. Yeah. Don't be ignorant. <laughs> be nice to the children. Uh, <laughs> He's wielding a knife. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There you go. You're the wrong music. I know. I, I apologize. Also kind of sound like you went in the X-Files there. Just a touch. Just, just a touch. touch. Well, make sure to comb your skullet. Make sure to wear black T-shirts. We love that John Carpenter. We'll see you guys next week with another great episode of Blockbuster Film School. Remember to be excellent to each other and party on and do drugs. See you guys later.